Let's jump into our scripture this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. And we're going to read the first 11 verses. This is a scripture that most of us, if you've grown up in church, uh, like our, our privileged kids here this morning have probably heard this verse before. And we are asking the question of who is Jesus, right? The most important question that we can ever ask is who is Jesus? Why is that the most important question that we will ever ask? Because how we answer that question will determine how we live our life. If we believe Jesus is just a nice guy, if he's a prophet, if he was a crazy person, if he, was, if he didn't even exist, these are all just stories made up by people who want us to believe some crazy thing, if, if, or he's fully God, or if he's just sometimes God and he kind of changes around and he's fully man, or whatever your belief about who Jesus is will determine how you live your life. And so we are going through a sermon series called Incomparable incomparable Jesus. And so what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is as we read through these 11 verses, see if you can try to pick out aspects of who Christ is that maybe you haven't seen before, or maybe even as I'm going to continue to unpackage the rest of these verses this morning, ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to your heart and say, Lord, help me see things that I've never really understood about Jesus. And not only just not Not just let me just see these things about who Jesus is, but Lord, will you help me to make changes in my heart and in my life through my actions and through the choices that I'm making that would line up with the truth of Jesus of who you are. And so let's let's look at these first 11 verses of chapter 5. And this is what the Word of God says. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had got out of them and were washing their nets. Verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Now, Simon is also Peter, okay? Uh, Most of us know the name Peter. He's one of the famous disciples of Jesus, so whenever you see uh, the, the scripture here is use the word Simon, it's also Peter. And so, getting into one of the boats, which was, which was Simon's, he asked him to put, on, put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John's, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon and Jesus, and said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had, heard, uh, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What are some of the things that stand out to you about Jesus in this passage? I, I, I was reading through this, and I, there's some things that stood out to me, and I felt God highlighting for us as a church. And 
If, you don't, if you're not able to see them right away, these are things that I want to encourage us in. As we continue to call ourselves disciples of Jesus, we see Jesus calls his disciples. And just like Jesus calls Peter here and, and James and John, he calls us and he has called us. If, if you saying, I'm a Christian... That, that saying of I am a Christian means I am a disciple of Jesus. And something that, that we here at Southlands Chino say is our mission is to be and to make disciples of Jesus. Not just monet, or, um, nominal disciples of Jesus. Not just what the world would put its template on Christians as we should behave. But what does the word say? What does scripture say? That what kind of disciples are we to be of Jesus? And often I think even in the church, we don't think of ourselves necessarily as disciples because we use the word Christian and somehow Christian and disciple are not synonymous, but in scripture we see that they are. And what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? If we're saying I'm a Christian, does that mean like I just got initiated into Christianity? I got into this thing called the church and I call myself a Christian and now all of a sudden I just kind of figure things out as I go along and every once in a while, you know, I get it with the community and God will speak to me and kind of push me back. Or is it this understanding that discipleship is an ongoing process in my life if I'm a Christian? Yes, it's the second one. It's where we are saying, yes, I've decided to follow Jesus, and because he's called me, this discipleship, this, it really comes from the word discipline, right? It's a discipline. It's, it's, it's a constant like surrendering of my heart to Jesus, and what does this look like? And I think there's some things in this text that are going to help us understand what it means to be a disciple. The first thing I want us to see right off the bat is that Jesus calls his disciples, and he calls a bunch of fishermen. Now, I was thinking about this this week. I love the movie Avengers. It is like, it's pretty up there for me. I love, it's really fun. It's super cool. It's well done. Disney has just knocked it out of the park by orchestrating the Marvel Universe, right? And how it all fits together. And I actually prefer DC over Marvel. <gasps> okay, I don't know if some of you guys don't even know what I'm talking about. But there's these two rival comics, right? And I really like the DC characters more. I mean, Batman. You can't get any cooler than Batman. Superman. I mean, and, and DC has the best villains. Like, who's the best comic villain? It's the Joker. No, you can't get any better than that. And you know how you know a good villain is a good villain? Because you like the villain. Even though he's bad, you like him. Just like Darth Vader, right? You get excited when Darth Vader gets on the screen. I remember when Rogue One came out, everyone's just waiting. All you're just waiting to watch for uh, 85 minutes is five minutes of Darth Vader, and it makes it worth it, right? Why? Because he's so cool. I don't know where I'm going with this, but you guys get my illustration. <laughs> DC has better characters, but Marvel, for some reason, Disney has just done it well. But... Even, even in the Marvel, I would think if I'm going to be putting together a team, it's going to be the Marvel guys. It's going to be Iron Man, the smartest dude who knows how to use technology. It's going to be Captain America. I mean, you can't get any more goody-two-shoes, goody right, than Captain America. And he's just the moral, outstanding, he represents America, he eats apple pie at every meal. I mean, you know what he does. He's just the guy, right? 
And if you're going to pick a dream team, it's going to be Marvel. But on DC, see, there's this other thing called the Suicide Squad. And the, what are these guys? They're a bunch of washouts. They're a bunch of villains. They're a bunch of nobodies. And if I was going to pick a team, it's always going to be the Marvel side. But DC's got it right because Jesus almost does the same thing here. He goes to a group of fishermen who are kind of like these rough and rugged they probably speak in a way that they wouldn't fit into synagogue. They're slaying the, the things that they've got themselves into. I don't know what Peter and James and John have had to do, but the, the Bible calls them the sons of thunder, James and John, sons of Zebedee. These were guys who were hardcore. They were ready just to kick butt all the time. It would have been like trying to go to a hardcore biker gang and pick out guys to be your disciples. I would never do that. Because they would laugh me out. First of all, they'd kick me out right away. They'd say, you little wimp, right? But Jesus goes to the people that we least expect. And I want to say, a disciple, if you're some superhero, if you're some perfect person, if you've got it all together, you need not apply to be a disciple of Jesus. See, Jesus uses the ordinary, the most common, the people who have all the faults, which is you and me, and he chooses us to be his disciples, just like he did here with James, John, and Peter. And that's such good news for us. And when we're asking the question, who is Jesus? Is he the guy that, because he's God and he's perfect and he's got it all together, obviously to be on Jesus, is, to be a disciple of Jesus, you got to be like Jesus. you got to have it all together. You have to be perfect. You have to never think a bad thing. You have to never say a bad word. You have to have all your ducks lined up in a row in order, and then you can become a disciple of Jesus. No. Jesus says, I'll take you as you are. And, by the way, you and me, Jesus speaking, we're going to turn this world upside down. And I'm going to do it through you. Wait, me? Me, Jesus? You don't know, like last year I didn't pay my taxes. Last year, God, I did all this. Or you didn't even see me yesterday. You don't want me on, my, on your team. And Jesus says, no, you'll do. You'll do. All that Jesus asks for is that our heart is surrendered to him. There's a guy named Dwight L. Moody, and he had a buddy named Henry Varley. And they're having this conversation about a revival and the world being up, up, turned upside down by God. And Moody and Varley are going back and forth. And actually, this, this quote is attributed to Moody, but it's not Moody's quote. He's the more famous preacher, but it actually came from his buddy named Henry Varley, and it says this, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. Do you believe that? Think about yourself, your own heart. See, it's not that Jesus wants somebody who's all perfect. Jesus wants somebody who just says, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. That's how the world gets turned upside down. That is how, as a parent, you lead your kids to Christ, right? Lord, I'll surrender my heart for my children to you, and Lord, use me as an instrument to make disciples. These seven, eight boys that were sitting right up here today. This is how 
the world gets turned upside down by you going to work and every day you go to work, the same job, the same time, you punch in and out and you say, Lord, I will go and as I go, I will be fully consecrated to you. This is how when you're going out to dinner, when you're about this week, this Thursday, possibly to upset Gavin or Newsom, to have more than three households in your house, I don't know whatever you're doing, we're only having three households. You're welcome, okay? And so when you get around the Thanksgiving turkey and the politics and religion and the all of these conversations might come up because this is the time during the holidays. No, you say, Lord, let me be fully consecrated to you because there's a family member who's coming over who may not necessarily understand what being a disciple of Jesus is, and you have a conversation about the love and the beauty of God. That's what it means to be a, to be a follower of Christ. You don't have to be awesome. You don't have to have super talents. You don't have to stand out in a crowd. All you have to do is be like Peter, James, and John and just say, I'll do it. And Jesus says, awesome. Let's go change the world. That's you and me. I'm so grateful that I don't have to be superstar. Because I have some talents. I have some talents. And then there's, there's I, I don't have a lot of other talents and I often look at myself and say, oh my gosh, I cannot believe Jesus chose me, one, to, to be his disciple, and two, to be in certain areas of leadership. Like, this is crazy. And Jesus just says, hey, I've called you. Just be obedient to me. That's all you got to do is say yes. Hey, can we all do this? Can we all just say the word yes together? One, two, three. Yes. That's all it takes to follow Jesus. Jesus says, hey, okay, I'm getting... Totally caught up in this. Not only does Jesus just choose normal, kind of regular, run-of-the-mill people, just like you and me, Jesus calls us even when it's inconvenient. Oh, jeez. So here's the thing. You read through this, the guys have been out fishing all night, and these are experienced fishermen. It's not like Peter just the day before thought, what should I do I don't know, I don't have a career, what's my calling, what's my purpose, I know I'm going to be a fisherman, and he goes out the first night. No, he is an experienced, James and John, experienced fisherman. They've been doing this most of their life, and they know you catch most of the fish during the night, and you catch most of the fish near the shores, because they were, they were fishing on a, on a, um, on a fresh, uh, fresh lake, freshwater lake, and these kind of fish, I was reading them in the commentaries, most of your fishing would have been during the, around the shores, and then what they would do is get kind of like a dragnet, and they'd get these two boats, and they would hang a, a candle, and the fish at night would see this candle and think, oh, it's so beautiful, right? And they would go up to the candle, and as they're swimming, they can't see the nets because it's nighttime, they would caught, get caught up in the net. And that's how you would be as a fisherman in this area. That's the way you would fish. Now it's morning time. Now it's day. And Jesus comes and he says, lower your nets again. And they're tired. They're exhausted. And you read here in the text that they're washing their nets. Why are they washing their nets? Because as a fisherman, the net was your livelihood. If you didn't have a net, you couldn't make it. And these nets were expensive. And they had to keep these nets in good maintenance order. And so they're done. They're going through the dregs. There's all kinds of seaweed and all kinds of nastiness in their nets. So they're getting done for their night. They're exhausted. And they're washing them. And Jesus goes, hey, by the way, throw your, throw your nets back out. And they're just like, ugh. 
Are you serious? Um, okay, Jesus. And I think we have to understand that Jesus doesn't always come to us when it's most convenient and call us when everything lines up with his will. I'll follow Jesus once um, my 401k matures. That's when I'll really lay everything down for God, and then I'll be able to say yes every single time. Kelly told me to say yes this morning. Yeah, I'm going to be the yes man to Jesus, whatever he says, but I'll only be able to do that really full-heartedly once my 401k matures. Or maybe once my kids are out of the house, you know, with, with little guys and teenagers and all the drama and all this kind of stuff, Jesus knows that I have to give all of my effort and all of my energy toward this. So sometimes when he calls me to be obedient in this area, I know Jesus is okay with me kind of being disobedient because, look, these kids are drama. Of course Jesus understands. Or maybe, you know, um, once, once my, uh, I don't know, once I get married, then I'll be, like, be on team with my wife or my husband, and two are better than one. And once I'm married, you know, we'll be able to, like, Turn the world upside down for Jesus. I don't know whatever your excuses are, but Jesus normally does not come to you and go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I did not realize your kids were still in school. Totally cool. Whenever you're ready to follow me, hey, I'll, I'll be here waiting. And whenever it's good for you, no, that's not the way Jesus works. See, Jesus comes, and even when we're done, and we're washing our nets, and we've been working all night, and everything feels like our world is in chaos, and if I follow Jesus now, it's just not going to feel right to give him everything because my life is all in disarray, and so I need to get this in order, and then I can fully say yes to Jesus. No, that's not the way discipleship works. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus says, hey, Drop your nets, follow me, and we say, yes. Okay, one person said yes. All right, what? Thank you, Jesus. One of us is getting this. Okay, so when Jesus says, I know you've been up all night. I know you've been washing your nets. I know you're exhausted. I know life right now doesn't have everything that you wish it would. And it's not just easy to just leave everything behind and come follow me. He still says, come follow me. There's other people in the Bible where this example happens. You know, Jesus says, come follow me. And this one guy says, hey, I got to go bury my dad. My dad died. I have to bury my dad. And Jesus goes, see ya. We think, what the heck? That's hardcore. It's not Jesus is saying, don't take care of your affairs. He's just saying, hey, are you willing drop everything and say yes to anything I ask you to do. It's not that if you have to bury your parent, he's saying don't bury your parent. He knew in that guy's situation that his heart was more for taking care of the stuff than it was to follow Christ. And so Jesus said, okay, you go, you go bury your dad. I'm going to continue to do what my Father in heaven has told me to do. So Jesus doesn't always call us when it's convenient and my encouragement to you this morning is if Jesus is calling you, say yes and be obedient. The good thing about that is we don't just have a Christianity that's hardcore. It is. We have a, a faith that is pretty hardcore that says, hey, leave everything behind, right? But we have a Father and a Savior and, and, a, and a Messiah 
who knows better than we do. See, even in the midst of, of this where they're washing their nets and they're done, Jesus goes, hey, throw out your nets back again. And they're like, ugh. You ever have situations like this where somebody who doesn't really know your life or your craft tells you how to take care of it? Yeah. Babe, why did... I'm going to assume the best of you right now, love, and that you were... And you look at this person and go, okay, whatever, and you roll your eyes. And I think we do this with Jesus at times, where we just think Jesus is a little aloof or naive to be at best. And Jesus might come and ask us to do something, and we already have thought out the process of how we think we're going to get to the answer or the best outcome into whatever situation our life has. And so we've thought through it, and we've already come up with a plan. And that's exactly what Peter, James, and John have done here. They've been fishing all night. They're experienced. This is their area of expertise. They're professional fishermen. They're already done washing their nets. They know that once the sun comes up, your odds of catching fish are pretty much done. And Jesus comes out, and he just says, Hey, guys, why don't you throw your nets back out in the water? Not only throw them back out in the water, but go out to the deep part where there's really no fish. The, the, the fish kind of sleeping during the day and they're hiding. Jesus says, no, 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 throw them out again. And so Peter says, Master, I don't know if you noticed. This is my area. By the way, who are you? I heard about you. You're like some, you're like a spiritual leader. You really don't know anything about fishing. And Peter says something I think that is so beautiful. He says, Lord, at your word, I will throw out my nets. See, friends, Jesus knows so much better than us. And he might come and ask you to do something that seems so contrary to logic or to what you think is the answer to your situation. Jesus says, hey, have you thought about, you know, your bonus this year that you're going to get? Have you thought about giving that away? Uh, no. <laughs> Why would I do that? Have you, have you thought about possibly, you know how you've been complaining about California and wanting to move to Idaho and, or wanting to move to South Dakota where it's the freest in this nation? No crazy rules. You know how you've been thinking about that? All the nonsense you just want to get. Have you ever thought about staying here because of the mission that God's called you to? I guess. See, Jesus knows better than us. And here's where it comes down. The rubber meets the road. Is do we trust God with the consequences of being fully obedient to him? You guys have heard me say that before, right? Do you trust God with whatever your situation is, whatever your scenario is, whatever your life circumstances are, and Jesus says, hey, I want you to do something that feels a little contrary to what you think the answer is. Do you trust me with the consequences of being obedient to me? At best, Peter was thinking to himself, I got to throw these nets back out and I'm just going to have to wash my nets again. I'm exhausted, but... Lord, at your word, I will. Not only does Jesus know 
better than us. I think we have to understand that an encounter with Jesus results in repentance. Marianne was talking about it here with our, with our boys sitting up here. They cast their nets. They're obedient. Lord, at your command, we will throw our nets back in the water. Not really sure what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, all of their nets are so full that they're dumping all the fish back in the, into two boats, and both of these boats are starting to sink because of the weight and the amount of fish. And what does Peter say? What is the result of seeing the Messiah, the seeing the anointed one, as we said last week? Remember, Jesus opens up the scroll of Isaiah. Remember, he says this, today, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. I am the anointed one. I am the one who will come to bind up the brokenhearted, to release the captives into freedom, to open up blind eyes. I am the one. And so now this I am the one is starting to be see it's starting to be seen in action around people and peter witness witnesses firsthand the i am the one among you that you're hearing this has been fulfilled and what does peter do he says lord lord depart from me go away from me because why i'm 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 sinful he's having an isaiah 6 moment right isaiah woe is me for i'm undone i've seen the lord He's holy and I'm not holy. Woe is me. And Peter recognizes something of God, something of the holiness, something of the supernatural power of God has broken into my world and I don't deserve to experience this goodness and this grace and this kindness because why I'm sinful. And I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the presence of holiness. And I think that this speaks volumes to us of how we understand Jesus because Remember, friends, if we don't see Jesus as other than us, as fully God, as the one who holds all things together, the creator of the universe, we just see him as our friend and our buddy, then we do not have moments where we fall down and we say, Lord, I don't deserve your presence. See, a true encounter with Jesus results in repentance. Not only just our initiation into Christianity, you know when you repent for the first time if you haven't ever become a Christian and you're like saying, no, I want to repent from my sinful nature. I want to repent from walking a certain way. My whole life was determined to go my own way. And in this moment, I'm going to repent and turn and walk toward Christ and keep surrendering my life to Jesus. It's not just this initiation into Christianity as a disciple, as an encounter with Jesus, but as Christians, we should keep on having encounters with Christ that keeps calling us to walk a life of repentance. That means that every moment of the day, I am saying yes to Jesus, and in those moments where I want to do my own thing and do God's thing, I say yes, and I follow Christ, and I turn from my wicked ways, my sinful desires, my own selfish things that I want to do, and I always, and I turn toward repentance. And why am I able to do that? Because the face of Jesus is ever before me. And when the face of Jesus is ever before me, I see his holiness. I see his scars in his hands and his feet and his side. And I see the sacrifice that he's done for me. I see the love that he has for me. I see the power of who Jesus is, that he's able to speak with the word, my nets to be full. And I come and I repent because why? I am an imperfect person who by God's grace, he has poured out his love on me. 
and it causes me to repent, not only in my initiation into becoming a disciple, but in my ongoing walk with Jesus as I continue to follow him as a disciple. Let me ask you this morning, when's the last time where you've had to repent because you've had an encounter with Christ? Has it been a long time? Let me say that a, a good disciple regularly is being put on this face. Not because we're so terrible at being Christians. See, that's, that's the, the upside-downness of our, of our faith. We often think, the less I have to repent, the, the better a Christian I must be. Actually, a really good Christian repents all the time. A really good Christian, a disciple of Jesus, is constantly repenting. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is always speaking to your heart and saying, hey, now that you've adjusted this with my help, there's another area I want you to work on. And if that's not regularly happening in your life where you're constantly having to go before God and say, Lord, just eradicate this sin from my life, then I would question, are you asking? Are you having an encounter with Jesus? Is the Spirit of God alive in you and changing you from the inside out? You guys okay? <laughs> Here's the hard pill for us to swallow. Jesus calls us disciples, but he calls us as disciples to a life of sacrifice. The Bible says here that in this moment, this is like really exciting, right? Their, their boats are getting filled up with fish. Their nets are so full. This is probably the best catch that Peter's ever had. I mean, it's, it's God's power breaking into their fishing. I just went fishing with my boys last summer. There were trout everywhere around us. Guess how many fish we caught? Fish were swimming all around my feet. Big, giant suckers. I tried 20 different flipping lures. They were just like, what's up? <laughs> Peter's had fish, and this is the best he's ever experienced. And yet, in this moment, the Scripture tells us, toward the end here, that Peter, James, and John, what do they do once their boats are filled up? They leave everything. This is so contrary to Christian, American Christianity. See, American Christianity tells you, you can have it all and still have Jesus. Somehow, this idol of having stuff is the same level as following Christ. Actually, there's such a perverted message in the church that if you are following Christ rightly and righteously and with full of faith, then you will get a bunch of stuff. And if you're not, then something in your walk is wrong. That is so anti-biblical, anti-Christianity. See, the call of Christianity is to come and die. Is to come and surrender your life to Jesus. 
The Bible says they left everything. Their nets, which were expensive, their boats, which were expensive, and then they left all that fish. Jesus, what a waste. I bet you Judas, well, Judas wasn't there. But if he was, he would have been saying, you could have at least sold the fish, <laughs> gave it to the poor. Social justice on steroids. <laughs> he would have been tweeting about it. He would have been virtue signaling about it. It would have been crazy. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, he was a Christian theologian pastor during World War II in Hitler's Germany. He ultimately became a martyr for Christ and was executed because of his faith. And this is how he understands what it means to follow Christ. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is a call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. See, there it is. Jesus has that encounter and he repents and he says, I'll do whatever you say, Jesus. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give our lives over to death. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And here it is, when Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. Man, we're wanting to grow this church. I know this is not the message that I should be preaching. But I, as your pastor, cannot preach any other gospel than when you become a disciple of Jesus, your life now is, yes, Lord. And sometimes it's not convenient, and sometimes it is, leave everything and come follow me. Is, is Jesus saying by this, is this prescriptive? Is, the, is, is this scripture telling us, well then, I'm... I have to leave all my possessions, I have to leave my house, I have to leave my car away, I have to get... No, that's not what it's saying. For some of us, it might be saying that. But what it's describing here is saying, whatever Jesus has asked you to do, whatever that is, you say yes. Because that's what Christianity is. When's the last time you were confronted with that? When's the last time you were confronted with, you know, it's so easy to be a Christian in America. You guys, we're feeling this angst right now of, is church essential? And I think I'm preaching the choir, right? We're here, why? Because we believe church is essential. We believe that because of all the unrest, because of the community that God's called us to be, because of the, 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 what the church is, yes, we say it's essential. But it, to be honest, it's easy right now to be a Christian in America. What will we do? And I think it's coming, and, I'm not, and I hope I'm wrong. And I am not going to, I don't want to be a preacher of doom and gloom. But what are we going to do, Southlands Chino, when we come under real persecution? What do we do when the government makes a mandate that you will not meet ever again because of, in the name of, 
some social thing that sounds right. What will we do? And what will we do when it becomes obvious it's hatred against us and you will not meet because you are Christian? Well, we say, oh, well, that's the rules. See, if we as Christians, as disciples, don't have a bedrock, solid foundation of who we are in Christ, and who he's called us to be, not just as individuals, but as a community as well as a church, then when persecution comes, I'm afraid that we might find ourselves not willing to die. And that might be literally. Now, Lord forbid, God, please, please, God, we don't want any of that to come to our nation. But are you ready to say yes to Jesus, even if it means big sacrifice. I hope. I hope. And my job as your pastor is to get us ready for that. It is. And sometimes I might say hard things. And, and I hope that in this chiseling away of our comforts that you will find yourself a more robust disciple of Jesus. That's my job, is to get you ready. Because I don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully it never happens. You might be saying, Kelly, you just want me to come to church. What kind of pastor wouldn't want you to come to church? <laughs> of course I want you to come to church. I believe in this. You should too. Never trust a skinny chef. <laughs> Let me encourage you, if that felt a little harsh, Here's the, here's the really good news. Jesus tells his disciples, hey, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you now catchers of men. What is Jesus encouraging his disciples here? See, Jesus is better than your best day. Jesus is better than any gift he can give you. How do we know this? Because you see it in the life of the disciples. In a moment, they say yes to Jesus and they leave everything behind in spite of the fact that they've just got the best catch of fish they've ever had. Jesus says, don't be afraid. What does that mean to you and me? So when I encourage us, hey, Southlands Chino, don't be afraid to trust God with the consequences of being fully obedient to him. I think Jesus is doing the same thing with his disciples here now, these fresh new disciples, and he's telling them, listen, you thought this was awesome? You thought, like, me giving you these gifts? You thought me uh, blessing you and calling you into this moment, and you want to just live off the high of the rest of this fish, and you want to sell it and make some more money and double your income and now get workers under you, and how we can make a profit? This is our guy. If it was me, I'd Peter, I'd be like, I don't know who this dude is, but I'm keeping him around every time I go fish, right? Jesus, hey, I'll be out here tomorrow. I'll even split it with you 50-50. But Peter, James, and John go. You know, I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's like when you see something that is a thousand times better than this great gift that you were just given, and then all of a sudden something is like, and it's glowing and angels are singing out of it and you just, what do you do? You like, this 
thing that you thought was awesome, all of a sudden you're just drawn to it. Why? Because it's so beautiful. And Jesus is saying, hey, when you follow me, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to make you now catchers of men, which is more beautiful than this stinking fish. And Southlands, if we're afraid to let go, if we're afraid to follow Jesus because of all the what ifs, Jesus is telling you this morning, yes, when you follow me, I'm going to ask you to say yes. And when you say yes, it's going to be scary. It's going to be, I guarantee it's going to be scary. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to say yes to me. Why? Because this fish is just going to rot and stink. The things I've prepared for you, the good works that I've prepared for you in advance are so much better than this boat of fish. I have souls that are going to be saved because of my life being poured into yours and then yours being poured into others around you. And the the things that you're going to see when you say yes to me, the things you're going to experience when you say yes to me, the, the circumstances and the situations. See, remember when we sing that old song, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. You know it. In the light of his glory and grace. What is that song talking about? It's talking about Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to let the things of the world grow strangely dim. Why is that strange? Because the world would say, no, what are you doing? Hold on to all this fish. And Jesus says, I'm so much better than the fish. Southlands, Jesus is so much better than your best day. Do not be afraid to say yes to Jesus. Why? Because that's the best place you could ever live your life is saying yes. Jesus wants you to keep saying yes. And he's going to make it available for you to keep saying yes. And so when you say yes, he's creating another yes in front of that yes. Do you know what I'm saying here? Sometimes we think if I say yes, it's the end. It's going to be over. I'm going to die. Jesus says, I've created this yes because I want to get to you to this yes. And then when you get to this yes, this yes was harder than that one. But because you said yes to this one, it got you prepared to say yes to this one. Because I know there's a yes down here that's even harder. But when you say yes to this one, there's going to be even bigger and better yeses that I have prepared for you. And the more that we see Jesus as the more beautiful gift, the pearl of great price, the treasure in a field that we sell everything because why? There's a treasure hidden in that field. I'm going to give it all up because this thing is so valuable. Instead of, but look at all the fish. You'll never be satisfied, friends. Ever, apart from saying yes to Jesus. You never will. Will you stand with me this morning?